0: Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson
1: and I'm Brian Bolt.
0: We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sport scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith.
1: Today on Sport Faith Life, we welcome author Brian Smith. Brian ran track and cross country at Wake Forest University, and soon after that, joined the staff at Athletes in Action, where he's been for the past 15 years. Brian wrote a great book called The Assist, and he's coming out with a second edition under a new name, The Christian Athlete, Glorifying God in Sports. We're excited to reconnect with Brian and to hear what he's up to, so let's get started. We're so excited to have Athletes in Action
0: staff member and author, Brian Smith, with us today. Brian, uh, tell us a little bit about sport in your life. A little bit about sport in my life, yeah. I grew up playing every single sport
2: imaginable. So from Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, my dad coached every single team I was on. But yeah, I played baseball, golf, soccer, football, basketball, you name it, and I probably played it. Um, and thought I was a lot better than I actually was, (laughs) I entered my freshman year of high school at Rockford, so right up the road from a couple of you guys, thinking that it wasn't a matter of um, like how many sports I was going to choose, but like what one was I really going to prioritize, and I got cut from everything my freshman year. Everything (laughs) I tried out for freshman year, I got cut and came face to face really early on in life with this idea. I didn't have language for it back then but i sensed this like idolatry in my life and really this identity crisis of if i'm not brian the athlete who am i and so that that was the first time like my relationship with sport soured a little bit and just began to process yeah like do i need to find another hobby do i need to replace brian the athlete with brian something else Um, ended up being a, becoming a track and cross country team member is one of the few sports you cannot actually get cut from. (laughs) Uh, And it went pretty well for me, did it for the next four years, ended up getting a scholarship at Wake Forest University and ran track and cross country there for four years. Uh, after that, I became a volunteer assistant at the University of Wisconsin, where my soon to be wife was running. And did that for two years and absolutely loved it. And then a short time after that, I joined staff with Athletes in Action. And so my entire life, really from time I was six years old until now, has some somehow been tethered to sport in the sport world, whether that's playing, coaching, or ministering within the midst of that.
0: The The power of the no-cut sports, how amazing, right? <laughs> this this career, this life that came because of that, that's, that's awesome. Hey, tell sports. us a little bit about, about faith in your life, Brian.
2: Yeah, um, grew up in a Christian home. I remember going to Pine Ridge Bible Camp when I was 11 or 12 um, and hearing the gospel presented with two locations that you could go, either heaven or hell, and um, I understood the gospel enough to know that I wanted to spend eternity with God in heaven, but I wasn't, I don't think I had a full understanding of what it actually was. As evidenced by my senior year in high school, our youth pastor kind of did this talk to everybody who was leaving to go to college, and he gave some crazy statistic of, it was somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of people who grew up in a Christ-following home that went off to college would fall away from the faith. And so my interpretation of that was, man, to to fall away from the faith means that you're, you're doing these like major sins. It's like, don't drink, smoke, have sex party, like don't do all these things. And so I went off to college making a point that I was not going to fall away. It's like part of the athlete competitive nature in me. Like I, I wasn't going to do those things. And for the most part, I stayed away from those. Um, but I did not get involved in a local ministry. I did not get involved in a local church. Um, I had somebody who began to invest in my life for maybe two months, but then I stopped meeting with him because I felt prideful, felt like I knew everything he was trying to teach Hmm. me, not understanding at the time that he was teaching me so that I could teach somebody else. The the second Timothy two, two model, the the things you've heard me said in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men that they can go on and teach others. I didn't have a vision for that. And I left college in 2005 spiritually dead because I had been playing defense with my faith and trying not to do the bad things, but I wasn't pursuing God at all. And so I, I got married in 2005 with this, like I I knew because of my Christian upbringing that to, to be a man in a relation in a marriage relationship meant that there were leadership roles that I needed to take spiritually. Um, and I was freaking out about that because I was marrying Lindsay, who was growing like crazy at Wisconsin. She did everything opposite of me. She was, she got involved in everything um, and really pursued God really, really hard. And so we, we got married in 2005. And early on in our marriage, I read a book by John Piper called Desiring God, and it completely blew the waters off what I understand the Christian faith to be and really helped me realize that... Um, I can experience joy and satisfaction in a walk with God apart from just following the rules and and being obedient for the sake of being obedient, and that yeah that opened up a whole new category for me of what does it look like to actually be satisfied in in my walk with God and and then Piper attaches the the line that God's actually glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. So yeah, I I felt like. When I was 11 or 12, I I fully believe I was saved at that point, but it wasn't until my early 20s that I understood what that actually meant and the repercussions of it and really how to live it out from there on. And from there, it's been, I mean, it has not been easy. It's been peaks and valleys, um, but I I feel like I have been on a process of just slow and steady growth since reading that book and kind of Piper cast that vision for me.
1: Yeah, well, well, good for John Piper for sure, for, uh, for and and everyone else that that writes those types of books that that uh, you know somehow we pick them up at a certain time and uh, our lives are adjusted or changed, and I, I think your story uh, though unique to you uh, rings true or has some some notes that ring for other people that grow up in christian homes right trying to figure out uh what does my faith really mean and uh your evolution i think it can be uh sort of you know added to other people's stories in such a way that uh, i i think there's a there's a story to be told um, and when you're doing that what you're doing is you're you're doing sort of the work that you've kind of gotten into. You've gotten into this idea of ministry connecting a couple of loves, right? The ultimately desiring God and before desiring sport. By, by the way, being um, cut at Rothbard, not, not such a bad, it's a big school. That's difficult to, to play there. Yeah. So don't, you know, let that go. You're doing okay with that.
2: Thanks. I, hey, I needed that this morning. Yeah, Thanks.
1: Absolutely. So I, we talked a little bit about sport and faith, and uh, I wonder if there's something off the beaten path. Um, I see your your uh, Barry Sanders jersey hanging in the back there. Um, for those of you, this is a audio only, but I can see it. And uh, so that might be a passion. But what, what is there something underneath about uh, Brian that tells us something something new and interesting? Something underneath
2: that tells you something new and interesting. Let me think about that or for a minute. Or boring either way. Or boring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can it be, can it be recent? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I was with my wife, Lindsay at the university of Wisconsin up until 2018, we joined staff in 2009 with athletes in action. So essentially spent 10 years ministering within the athletic department at Wisconsin. And at the end of 2018, early 2019, we felt this weird, kind of releasing from God. And and I don't want to, I'm not going to, I won't go into all the details, but it was this, we had always thought we were going to be in Madison forever. We were thriving there. It felt like home and family. Um, But we had an opportunity to move back to Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is where we're both from. And within a matter of months, God just did this weird 180 on both of our hearts where we felt Yeah, we we felt like we released this, we're going to be here forever and just we're open to God. Let's let's consider this and just see what you're doing. And a lot of really just not normal things aligned that help us make this decision. But what you might not know about me from that is I went from 10 years living in a city right next to an athletic, the Division One Athletic Department, to now, I am looking out my window at our back pasture, <clears throat> at our two sheep and two pigs. And my brother and sister in law, which are an acre or two acres to my left, have two cows and two horses and a donkey and 40 chickens. And so, like, I went from in the middle of athletic culture and to now I'm just like a farmer, but still wrestling with those same things that I did when I was a freshman in high school of like, I moved to Lowell, Michigan and I'm no longer Brian the athletes and action staff in the city of Madison now I'm the again putting labels on myself that I don't need to, but I'm the the quasi farmer whose animals always gets out and he doesn't know what he's doing and people laugh at me as we're running down the road chasing <laughs> our cows because we don't know how to accurately secure a gate so that's something you may not know about me as I'm trying to trying to live in this farming type life as I make this adjustment to Lowell, Michigan in the midst of having an identity crisis. Well,
1: well, goodness sakes, I was not expecting that. that <laughs> I didn't realize that we were talking to Brian the Shepherd. Uh, there you go. That, re, what a fantastic uh, beginning of the story. And we're just going to go ahead and book you for a few years from now because I want to hear more about this. Uh, Sounds good. This Sounds farmer good. life. Pretty fantastic. So you talked a little bit about how your history in sport and then your history in faith got you connected to athletes in action and then you wrote this book uh the assist um and i think probably right out of in in some ways right out of piper this idea of desiring god and glorifying god and there was there was that was the string sort of uh, holding that book together and in many ways tackling a really big question because just off the cuff Christians will often say I'm doing this because it glorifies God it's actually quite um, comforting to us to take the things that we love and put them in a category of glorifying God and and mm-hmm. we didn't really understand what that meant and and uh, I think your book do, does a lot to do that uh, can you give us a little summary of the assist and then you' you're on to your next book so if you could kind of launch us into the next uh, the next project
2: yeah uh, the the summary of the assist is um, I tried to help athletes who, whether they're pursuing faith or not, give really practical categories to think through what does it look like to to really honor God within the context of sport um, that are still tethered to the to the Bible because the Bible does not talk much at all about sports, but it talks a whole lot about what does it look like to align our lives in a way that pleases God um, and aligns with his character. And then the challenge then, right, is how do you take those Bible verses and stories of the Bible as we learn about who God is, his nature and character, then apply them within the context of sport. And so my effort in the assist was to try to do that as best as I could in and really look at categories that maybe we don't often talk about or associate with kind of aligning our Christian faith within sport. And so we, we talk a lot at the intersection of faith and sport about what does it look like to honor God through through competition and when you have this, this unique platform, what does it look like to share that, that testimony with the rest of the world, which are all good things. Um, but competition is such a small percentage of what it looks like to be an athlete. Uh, for me as a distance runner, um, specifically as a miler, I spent, man, almost 100 hours a week training and thinking about and practicing and eating and sleeping and preparing for my sport, all for like a race that took a little over four minutes. And so what does it look like for somebody like me who is spending all this time engaged in sport, but then to kind of pigeonhole what God cares about just into that four, four minutes and 10 second um, time just seemed off to me. And so I tried to write, it's not exhausted by any means. But I just tried to think through what are broad enough categories that for an athlete who's just wrestling with, how can I glorify God through the other 98% of what I do? I'm hoping it'll serve them to that end. And then the new book is the second edition of The Assist, and it's called The Christian Athlete. One of the names for the renaming was I have a publisher this time. The, the first time was essentially self-published. Um, I went through a partnership publisher, but I had creative control over everything with the second edition, David C. Cook and I worked together to rename it. One of the reasons was as people are searching online about what does it look like to, to honor God through sport or Christian sport resources, they're not typing in the assist into Google. They're probably typing in Christian athlete book or Christian athlete resources. And so it was just a really a really practical way to try to be clear instead of clever. As much as I love the name, the assist, I kind of had to let that die. Um, and so we renamed it. I took a couple chapters out and put a couple new chapters in. Again, it's not meant to be exhaustive, but I'm when I'm thinking of what athletes are wrestling with today that I don't see going away anytime soon, one of those areas is mental health. And so there's a new chapter in there on what does it look like to honor God as an athlete within the category of mental health. And then another chapter is riding the bench. And so I did not have anything in the assist about athletes who are not actually playing due to sitting on the bench for something other than an injury. And so I have a whole chapter on what does it look like to still honor God and glorify Him when you're not actually getting playing time? What's a biblical response to that? Uh, There's a clear gospel presentation in this one. Um, I worked with InterVarsity on the back end of the book to create an appendix that helps athletes tell their testimony, um, essentially what I did through sport. And so what does it look like to? to share your testimony, but weaving kind of sport uh, experiences within that. And then the biggest question I was asked almost on a weekly basis the last couple of years with the assist is, do you have discussion questions? We want to use this in a team environment. And I did, but it was a PDF that I'm constantly emailing and sending to people. The Christian athlete has discussion questions for athletes at the end of every single chapter, but also separate ones for coaches and parents who want to wrestle with these same topics.
0: I love these revisions. I love the ways that, uh, that it's updated from you know the first first edition to the to the next. And I'm curious, especially since a number of our listeners are, are writers themselves. You know, what's what's the process look like? How do, how do the seeds come about to move from a first edition to a second edition for you? Right? Is there feedback that you're getting? Are there? You know, you mentioned that there there were you felt like there were a few gaps talking about mental health, such a big issue. Uh, not going away right and then and then riding the bench. I mean how cool and how important for for so many athletes that aren't the ones that are actually, you know, visibly uh, um, A part of the action um, In a large role. So how does that come about for you to go from from the first edition to the second? I wonder if you can talk in the midst of that about the feedback you were getting on the assist
2: Yeah, um, that's a great question and that so I'll, I'll answer it a couple ways one just being honest, I I had always wanted to get picked up by a major publisher, like even from the beginning of writing, like I, they're just kind of my goals, like I, I want to write something that's good enough and intriguing enough that somebody would pick it up and help me take that message to the world. So like, and there's pride and things in that, that I need to confess and die to myself there's also this, I, I really do want to serve people who are trying to integrate faith and sport. And a lot of the feedback I was getting from the book, a lot of it was positive, but there were gaps in it, like like any anything that anybody who writes, that's you put it out there and it's a really humbling experience to write something and put it out to the world because you've said it, it's in print and you don't get a you can't do something like this every single day with the people that are reading it. And so a lot of the feedback I was getting was, yeah, there, there's gaps. This, anal- this analogy is, is not biblical. You need to tighten this up or you need to take this out. And so with all of that, right, it's, it's okay. Taking it before the Lord and saying, God, is this, is this something that I really need to change to, to honor you? Um, and what are the gaps in it that I can, that I can fill? Again, it's not exhaustive and I'm entering into a conversation that has existed for years and years and years. This isn't me just like, none of this has ever been thought of before and I'm putting it out there. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Um, But what can I add to this conversation that will serve the audience who are reading this and who are saying we could really use some discussion on mental health or my kid's not playing. It's not because of injury. He's sitting on the bench and he needs He needs some wisdom. What can you, yeah, what can you give us? And so really it was, it was this weird tension of my own pride and wanting to see like, man, if I, if I put this in front of a major publisher, would they pick it up? And then two, I want to serve people like I really do. And I want to serve based on what they are asking for to the best of my ability. And I feel like this book, again, to the best of my ability reflects the feedback that I was getting over the last couple of years from the, the first one, The Assist.
1: Well, Brian, I would say that that second part, that uh, desire to help others comes through, comes through in my interactions with you and with in your presentations and in your writing. And so um, there are a lot of people that work for Athletes in Action or other sport ministries, work as chaplains, but very few people sit down and write. And so uh, it is a, it's a courageous act to be able to to sit down and do that. Uh, but also I, I think uh you're a, you're a deep thinker, right? And you're there you have questions that puzzle you and you want to sort them out and you wanna work them out. And part of the way that you do that is is to write. And I think uh it, it every time we have that and we're we're putting a serious effort into understanding God and God's character and ourselves, I think uh and and particularly in this in this weird culture of sport, uh we, we have an opportunity to kind of move the ball down the field if we want to be, you know, really uh, sporty about it. So uh, we appreciate you doing that. Uh, I get, I wonder, we want people to buy the book, but I want a little teaser. Uh, so this chapter on being on the bench um, w- sounds like in some ways it comes from a raw place, right? We've all spent some time on the bench. Uh, and that's a tough place to be. I mean, I have, Half my athletes play, and you know, as I'm currently coaching, the other half are trying to play. Right? They're trying to get in the game, and I often just acknowledge straight up front the the experience of the two athletes on the same team, the two different types of athletes on the same team is very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, tell me a little bit about how you unpack this idea of being on the bench and and how to faithfully be on the bench.
2: Yeah. So I, I, I kind of journey through the the chapter with one of my former staff at Wisconsin. Her name is Phoebe Turner, and we joined staff together in oh, 2009. And Phoebe was a, an absolute stud hockey player in high school. She's from the Pittsburgh area and thought God's plan for her life was to go to Wisconsin, which is a really good women's hockey school, ice hockey, um, and win national championships and be a star on the team. And her freshman year, she sat on the bench. And her sophomore year, she sat on the bench. And junior year, she sat on the bench. And she, there were, there were little pockets of time when she got playing time, but she had this identity crisis of faithful Christ follower, well-intentioned, really did believe that God was going to grant her success so that she could just redirect it back to Him and use that success to draw other people to Him. And God in his sovereignty chose that was not going to be her story. And so the, the chapter journeys with like seven different points that I make throughout of what does it look like through Phoebe's story to still honor God in the midst of not seeing playing time. And, and one of those was that when you're sitting on the bench, you are around other people who are not getting playing time. And, and part of being a, a Christ follower who is also an athlete, um, is you, you are called by God to be missional in whatever environment he has you in. And so what does that look like then? As you're interacting with, again, you just mentioned that you, there's two different experiences for for athletes. What does it look like to to still honor God by interacting well with those teammates who are in your similar situation and not gossiping about your coach and other teammates behind their back, but to even in the midst of that environment, to speak well of your coach and to speak well of, of your teammates. So really, the one of the points is just to, to find ways to be missional. Where God has put you matters, and it's not a mistake, um, but there's still some intentionality that needs to be taking place on your part of, again, doing those things that will help you to be missional, which is really just don't gossip, speak well, affirm of other people, find ways to celebrate like in ways that show you're not just faking it until you make it, but but confess those things in your heart where it's like, I just don't want this person to succeed, but find ways to celebrate wins in their life and then tell them. And so just a lot of really practical ways on how you can just honor God in the midst of it. And again, it's just following Phoebe's story. And it's a it is a beautiful story of what does it look like when somebody arrives at a point maybe not arrives i don't know if you ever fully arrive, but is on this trajectory of continually surrendering your sport to god once you realize that that playing time may not be in the cards that doesn't mean you just stop trying you still honor god by giving it your absolute best but but there is a perspective switch that needs to happen at some point where where
0: you're looking for the wins in the midst of what what feels like a huge loss such a difficult place to be in the world of sport as athletes right to be on on the bench and really i think probably an overlooked and really understudied probably role within the world of sport i'm I'm so glad that you're you're tackling this through phoebe's story uh excited to read that it seems like um you know the difficulties that i I and people near me have, have had uh with identity stuff being on the bench not not having the role that you want um You know, there's all these uh, emotions that come from, for instance, knowing that you need to support the person playing ahead of you or people playing ahead of you, but having such a hard time doing so. Like you said, cheering for their success is such a hard thing to do for people that have taken playing time away from you, essentially, is how oftentimes we look at it. The difficulty also of of trying to embrace, uh, you know, what becomes sort of a bench squad right? So you have your peers that are also not playing in, in terms of a team sport and developing some camaraderie with that group. That's a hard enough task to sort of identify with a set of people that, that no one really wants to be a part of. But then if, if you happen to see one of them then move into a regular rotation, right? Being happy for them, but at the same time wishing that was you. I mean, it's just this range of emotions. And so much of it comes down to the moral vice That you mentioned earlier as an author, too, that Brian and I both experienced. And that has to do with pride, right? And so that's such a a big concept here. And I wonder if you can speak to that uh, more more broadly, right? So so we have the player on the bench that struggles with pride. We have ourselves as authors, you know, and pride wanting to get our ideas out. uh, Pride and sport, all of that fits, right, in terms of how you're uh, offering thoughts to the Christian athlete.
2: Yeah, I I, I don't—I can—let me— let me kind of move from the discussion of the person on the bench and maybe you can talk about broader categories. Um, I, I think there's this with somebody that's sitting on the bench and who is seeing somebody succeed um, and it's coming at a, at their expense of of their playing time. I, I think it's okay for them to be frustrated <laughs> and upset. So for an athlete right. who has right. spent a large majority of their time and made a ton of sacrifices um, to not get playing time. And to just, I think it's a wrong perspective to be like, you should just be super happy for this person. Mm -hmm. There's a tension. I think we live in this culture where it's like, we're, we're being, we're being fed that everything needs to be polarized thinking. So everything needs to be either right or wrong. And I think there's this tension that exists somebody riding the bench, and really all throughout sports, tensions exist, but I, I think it's completely okay and God-honoring to be frustrated when you're not getting playing time, when you've worked really hard, when you can just be honest that you're upset, but also have a perspective where you can celebrate another person. And again, I I think both of those can be true, and it's, it is really, really hard, but I don't think... Just because you're, you're having this emotional response of frustration and sadness, um, that necessarily would point to a pride issue. I think if you just sit and ruminate in that, um, and it, it does, your world continues to just revolve around self, and you're unable to just step back and get a wider perspective on what God's doing and, and take a step forward in trying to celebrate other people and find the wins— Um, again, if you're just in self, that's when I think pride sneaks in, I getting into a broader discussion, I think I can fall prey to like, there's, and I think Piper talks about this in desiring God too. There is, there's pride on one hand, which says I, I am good enough. I can do it all myself but on the other end there's this feeling of like woe is me i i can't do anything and in the middle there's this like we we're still made in the image of god and so there's this like we can't sit over here in pride and say like it's it's all about me because we're made in god's image and we're we're made to reflect him but we also can't ruminate in this like woe is me i can't do anything on my own, because again, we're made in the image of God and he has called us into his likeness and to be his, his hands and his feet. And so, I mean, even as I'm looking out at my sheep right now, I mean, we have this example of, of Jesus in the Bible. He's the lion and the lamb, two seemingly opposite, opposite things that can be true at the same time. So I, yeah, I feel like with pride, it's it can be easy to go from pride to this. And I'm not sure what the word is for the other side. Maybe you can help me with that, but it can be easy just to like seesaw back and forth. And again, I think there's, there's this tension where we need to say like, okay, we are made in the image of God and that should bring this, this humility into our lives. But we're also made in the image of God, which should give us confidence in who we are and how he's uniquely called us to be.
1: You know, we, we talk about image, right, the being made in the image of God. And it's funny that that exact language is used by the NCAA, right? It, it, it has become the way that at, uh, student athletes can make money, this, this name, image, and likeness, right? Those are, in many ways, biblical, theological terms that have been um, sort of used and, and developed where a few people have sort of made the connection there. Ah, uh, this idea that uh, our image, uh, in many ways, can be misunderstood. Right, our image can be uh, tied to right our representation. And the image in the Bible is 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 um, partially about representation. Right, that, that it, even literally, it's a it's a statue. Right. But it's also an action, and I think you started talking about that—that that idea that God created the world, and then part of His likeness was to say, "Keep going, right? Keep creating," and that became um, really the 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 mandate for humankind that that separates it from the animals, and and uh, so this this uh, action, this movement, this creating. That's a part of what we do. And uh, I do think we need more language around how, when there is success in something, when there's accomplishment in something, what is that, and to use a really common term, what is that good pride? What is that feeling of accomplishment? Uh, Because athletes feel that, right? They athletes feel that accomplishment. And what do we do with that? And so often the church has said, deflect it quick. Right. Get rid of it so that it doesn't. And and that's kind of the warning. The warning is that this could take you over. And that's a anything in excess could. Right. Uh, the Bible warns of uh, too much wealth, too much uh, power, too much good looks. Right. Those things can anything in excess can can um, become an idol. And yet we are in the business in sport of accomplishment. Right. We are in the business of attempting to accomplish something that's very public. And so I, I do think that uh, maybe it's sort of the the back channel of your conversation about uh, you're taking sort of the I'm not accomplishing direction when you talk about bench players. But I think all athletes have to wrestle with this idea of accomplishment and figuring out where does this fit in the Christian life and how do I deal with it and what's a proper way to do that? I think you're, you're getting there. It might be book three um, for us to get to i think that's kind of fun chad and i also spent some time writing about another deadly vice which is envy and that's starting Mm -hmm. to work in there as well but the interesting thing about envy it's that same idea of of wallowing right i wallow in this space comparison happens all the time in sport right we're constantly comparing but that comparison can lead to that idea that that uh, what they have ought to be mine and uh uh, we are living in the tension. I like the way that you named it. Uh, it's something that I say openly to my players. I say it openly to recruits. I say, it's really weird to both want the role of your teammate and root for him at the same time. Mm-hmm. And both of those things, that's a requirement of the role. And uh, I think we have to name those things and talk about them rather than just sort of dismiss them or try to will our way to being you know, free of that feeling right. F- free of that desire, which is just smacks of inauthenticity. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. Or, or even like outwardly root for them, but inwardly think that we're manipulating God into blessing us because <laughs> we're having this other centered mindset. And yeah. And that's, I get into that in that chapter too, like it, the, the prosperity gospel mentality for a bench player can start to seep in of like okay I'm not playing one I must have done something wrong or two if I just do all the right things and I try my best to honor God then he's going to reward me with playing time and he may but he doesn't he doesn't promise that he doesn't promise that
1: yeah and when we um push the theology a little bit the it's not so much the coach or the other person that we may have resentment against it it may be, look, God, I'm working really hard, but you didn't give me the talent. I mean, so you start thinking about, like, who's who's to blame? Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm giving all I could have. If you gave me just a, a few more hops or, you know, I, I'd be I'd be really getting it done. So the, the, it's amazing what happens and what stirs up as we think about the sports setting and how we can think about our faithfulness in in the midst of that um, yeah, I really appreciate the way that you, you're, you're kind of pushing some of these questions, Brian. And I wonder, as we, as we wrap this up, as you think about like this life change, right, you have become a farmer. Um, and I I wonder how, um, you see sport evolving in your life as you go forward, because this is obviously a an area of interest. You continue to write in this area, but how do you see sport evolving in your life uh, as, after you've made this fairly substantial, like personal life change?
2: Yeah, so I'm still on staff with Athletes in Action. My role has shifted from being a campus minister to I have a, a much more digital focused role and I help run our summer camps, our ultimate training camps in the summer. But sport has shifted for me since I've been here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, well Lowell, outskirts of Grand Rapids. Um, in that I, I have started absolutely loving coaching my son, who is now at an age where he can play and participate and do well in sports. And so I, I'm having to wrestle with all the things that I claim a Christian athlete or a coach should kind of ascend to, and I stink at it.
0: <laughs> ah.
2: Like, I... It, it's easy to write about what it should look like as a christian athlete when you're when you're just ministering to them and you haven't competed for almost 20 years but as a as a coach like i i still feel like there are times in my heart when i'm like the kid's 10 and i care way, way too much about this right now <laughs> like there was one instance last year 2 years ago when his team this was third and fourth grade tackle football not a big deal right but they lost in the last play of the game um Hudson my son his cousin Dominic threw him a pass we were at the 50 yard line we needed a touchdown to win and because they're third graders they can only throw it like 10 yards and so it bounces off Hudson's helmet gets intercepted by the other team the game's over and I go up to to the 40 yard line he's crying and I wanted to convince him like it's okay it's can only throw the ball ten yards. It's all right, but he he said, "No, I'm not crying because of that. I'm crying because Josh told me I lost the game for our team, and he's being a butthead." Bleep <laughs> <laughs> ah, that out if you need to. But, but uh, my response in that moment was, "Hudson did did Josh make any tackles today? Did Josh make any catches? Did Josh score any touchdowns today?" Like I went full on comparison mode, out of protection for my son and really protection for my own pride. I tried to prop my son up by saying, you are better than this other kid who just made this claim against you. Let's compare all these different categories and how you're better. And I left the field that day going like, man, I I missed such a crucial opportunity to enter into Hudson's pain and push against a cultural norm of comparison. And I had to redo this at night. I apologized to him and we, we kind of went through this, but, but I wish if I had to do over, I would have said, buddy, what Josh says does not matter. Josh, and there's going to be plenty of people like Josh that have opinions on you. Your job is not to listen to that. You need to listen to the voice that matters most. And that's daddy's voice. And here's what I love from watching you today. And so building into this theology of my son, like I love him and that should be enough in my opinion and God's opinion matter most. And I I need to, I need to constantly push against this norm of comparison. So that's one small example, but I, I feel like God is, God is revealing just again, a lot of idolatry in my heart when it comes to sport and coaching my son, that it's been really, really fun to wrestle with all these same things that I'm writing about and saying, man, this is really, it's easy to write about when I'm sitting in my office, but really hard when you're actually coaching somebody playing basketball and the refs are making a bad call. Um, And they're 10 and 11 year olds, right? Like I'm not, I'm not coaching it at a college level or even a high school level. I'm coaching kids when there's no scouts at the game and what they're doing is not really has no value beyond they should just be playing and having fun. And the goal should be that they come back and play again next year. So that's my relationship with sport. Now I'm still, I still love what I do but I'm getting a, a deeper glimpse into, man, I I have work to do when it comes to actually practicing this stuff out because I stink at it.
1: You're here, here. Well said. I, I love that. I know, uh, Chad is in the throes of, uh, youth coaching right now. I'm kind of a little past that old. My son's still a student athlete and, uh, I still coach student athletes. Uh, but that there's no doubt that, uh, the humility of, uh, the, the weakness of the flesh comes through over and over again. And, uh, it is, it is Lowell. So, uh, that nine and 10 year old football matters. I, I do know that, deal. uh, Big deal. right. I know that that's a important thing. And also thank you for, uh, well, we'll probably get more likes. Like we're close to the Joe Rogan podcast now because we've, we've inserted some salty language. We appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Glad I could help out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Brian. It's been wonderful talking to you again. And we want to talk to you again in the future. We really appreciate the good work you do. The The title of the book again is?
2: It's The Christian Athlete, uh, Glorifying God in Sports. And you can just grab it on Amazon right now. It's, uh, I think it, it releases April 5th. So we're just doing pre-orders
1: until then. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the Sport Faith Life podcast. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. thanks for listening to the sport faith life podcast find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on apple podcasts we're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests so you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website sportfaithlife.com